Welcome to the Sick Palette Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Deepa Shreeder. This week is a really fun week. Uh, we're not doing a wine review podcast. We're doing um, a wine, a wine maker, a wine company creator interview podcast uh, with Wonderwork. Uh, it's a team of two. So it's Andrew and Isamu uh, of Wonderwork who are based in L.A., that make some of my most favorite bottles I've had in years. Um, all about spontaneous fermentation, natural wines, um, where I feel like they're doing a lot of fun stuff experimentation-wise, um, using different kinds of flavors. Uh, we, we cover all of that in the interview. But anyways, this was such a fun opportunity for me uh, to get to interview people that, to me, they're making some of the best stuff out there. So um, make sure to visit, uh, when you're done listening, wonderwork.com. Is it wonderwork.com? I have the information in front of me, and yet I refuse to look at it. Wonderworkla.com. Work spelled W-E-R-K-L-A.com. Um order whatever you can now. Uh, they're going to have some really awesome spring releases as well. And uh, they are also in a lot of your favorite local Austin wine stores. So just check them out. Um, follow them on Instagram. Um, I'm basically trying to get all of all of the like maintenance management stuff right right up top because I just want the interview to kind of go and, and you not have to wait for her information or for me to have to say the information. It's a two-way street, right? I'm trying to get some shit out. You're trying to listen. We're almost done here. Um, but <laughs> follow at Sick Palette uh, on Instagram. Um, also, you know, subscribe to the Substack. Uh, if you think this is something that could be interesting for someone else to listen to, don't be afraid to recommend the podcast. We've got a lot of really fun interviews coming up. So stick with, stick with the, stick with the brand. Sick palette, baby. Okay. I think I'm done now. I'm done. All right. Let's get this interview going. Uh, what's going on, everybody? Islamu Kamidi, one half of Wonderwork, based here in Los Angeles. Um, natural wine makers and, and uh, you know beverage explorers, I guess. I'm not sure. But, um, <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and this is Andrew Lardy. I'm the winemaker at Wonderwork, despite what Isamu might tell you. <laughs> It's perfect. You guys did a great job already. Um, okay, so um, at this point, they've already heard introductions. They kind of know, at least from my point of view, who you are. Um, right off the bat, you guys are one of my most favorite, favorite, favorite wine companies. Uh, as soon as I had, like, I think it was Free Your Mind. I think it was, like, maybe a year and a half ago or something. I was completely hooked. So I'm super psyched to do this. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, but I wanted to do a little bit of origin. I know that is like a little bit boring and that's probably all the things that you guys say. So we won't like stick too too long onto it. But 
essentially you guys were high school friends from Virginia. Um, but then you guys moved to LA and started a wine company. Can you tell like exactly how that happened? Take it away, Andy. Yeah, so you saw me and I are high school friends. Uh, we actually went to the same middle school that started hanging out in high school. Isamu was sort of the coolest guy in school and uh, <laughs> would DJ the best parties, uh, both in high school and college. So our paths just kept on crossing, even though we went to different colleges. They were just an hour apart. And, um, you know, our wine company is founded in a similar context, actually. Uh, we were at a traveling discotheque known as Dispacio. It's put on by... James Murphy, James Murphy from LCD Sound System and the Diwali oh, wow. brothers from Soul Wax. Um, so really high-end audio, but most importantly, uh, the, the DJs are, you know, behind a curtain. They're not the focal point like it is these days at EDM festivals. Uh, so it's a really old school sort of setup where the crowd is facing each other. The disco ball in the middle is the focus, and it's a very inclusive environment. Nobody is being put on a pedestal. And following this discotheque around the country, we started thinking, how can we create that feeling, that amazing feeling, and uh, channel that uh, inclusiveness in, uh, in a product? And I was already making wine for a few years at the time. So we wanted to bring those vibes to the wine world, which can be quite the opposite of that. Um, certainly stuffy. Um, to say the least. And uh, that's how Wonderwork was born. It was born as a, a rosé company. And our rosé was called Disco Vino, Donna Rosé, named after Donna Summer, of course. And Disco Vino uh, grew to become a, sort of a subsidiary of Wonderwork. It, it's a range of wines that we make under the Wonderwork moniker. And I'll let Isami explain where, where Wonderwork comes from. Uh, yeah, so Wonderwork, we... We started out with Disco Vino. Um, this was about five vintages ago. And um, we got some weird looks. And a couple places, you know, thought what we were doing was a little strange. And then we're like, okay, maybe we need to pivot a little bit and expand our, our repertoire and, and that sort of stuff. And we came up with Wonderwork. Uh, Wonderwork is named after a, uh, a cave in South Africa that has the earliest signs of human cooking, like uh, a million-year-old hearth where people first started to manipulate nature for consumption. And that's really at the essence of what we do as winemakers. Um, so to that end, we sort of expanded and kept Disco Vino, but Wonderwork itself allowed us to branch out from that and create a whole bunch of other things um, that wouldn't have necessarily fit into a disco world. Um, and like Andy said, he'd been making wine uh, in California for a while. Um, he went to Fresno State for phenology. Um, I soon came out to Los Angeles after him or after he came to California. Uh, but I've always worked in, in food and beverage marketing. So um, our ideas were always uh, hatched around a few good balls of wine while cooking and, and coming up with what you know, what we could do on our own that wasn't beholden to other people. So um, that was, that was really going to be my next question, because I feel like whenever you think about California wine, you don't think about LA necessarily. Um, you think, you think about 
definitely like Sonoma. You think about these like lush vineyards and these people are like outside making these wines, but you guys are in LA. So you're getting your grapes from California, but you're, you're making the wine in LA. We're producing actually up the coast in uh, Gilroy. Um, Okay. Square footage being what it is in LA. It's certainly a, a hard place to make wine. Um, we have some friends who do produce in LA County, um, but it, it's extremely difficult to do so. We're very yeah. LA influenced. We both live in LA. We operate the business out of LA. And a lot of our flavor profiles and beverage concepts are in collaboration with various friends who operate other businesses in LA. Um, case in point, the Jamaica, the hibiscus that we used for our Piquette is sourced from Masienda, who's a Los Angeles-based heirloom, masa, and heirloom Mexican culinary product company. Um, so the ideas are spawned in LA. They're very representative of LA. We do travel north to Gilroy to produce wine at this time. Okay, that that gives me a little bit more of an idea. Um, so when it comes to, when you say like you guys have kind of, you know, an LA profile of what what you're doing with wine I think it makes a little bit more at least for me maybe it also just is the fact that I'm a chef but when I think about food and and LA I like I I have like ideas immediately when you're talking about wine and having an LA kind of profile what does that mean what what does that look like Mm, I think for us um, a little less convention a little Mm -hmm. bit more rule breaking a little bit more generally the idea is to make wines or, or products that our friends would enjoy. So our friends in, in Echo Park all the way to Venice. Um, so I think that sort of creates the style, you know, it's, it's um, heavy handed Chardonnays or Central Coast Pinots are not really what we find our friends consuming. Um, on the regular, so we wanted to create things that spoke to that sort of vibe or that sort of uh, setting, which is you should be able to polish the bottle, uh, hanging out in your backyard with your friends or, or at the beach or, or at, you know, in a leisure park or something like this. So that's sort of how we come up with things. Okay, so it, it is really more about the vibe, and I guess that makes sense for for you guys being part of the specifically like natural wine scene, what initially drew you to that style of winemaking? And um, I love that, like on, you know, on your marketing, it says supernatural wine. Um, but yeah, like wh- what, what was it about natural wine um, that, that made it feel like that's exactly the kind of wine you want to make? Um, yeah. Speak more to that. Sure. So you saw me mentions Chardonnay and Pinot Noir in particular as being the sort of style that we move away from. That's literally my background is making high quality vineyard designate Pinot Noir Chardonnay on the central coast of California, which is lovely if you happen to be an estate owner. We don't find ourselves in possession of vines. So trying to emulate that model felt completely wrong and we were looking for something else. We didn't envision ourselves making natural wine initially, but our peers started doing it. Mm-hmm. And we started learning the ropes by seeing it happen in front of our eyes. And then we realized, look, not only is this a 
healthy way we think to celebrate the bounty of California by not adding things to it from the chemical palette. Uh, it's also a fantastic place to spread our wings and bring some really creative off the wall ideas uh, to the table. We, we started free your mind. The first wine that you've tried of ours, that's a fantastic mm-hmm. place to start by the way. I think free your mind is really the distilled essence of wonder work that started as just a really crazy idea and we're certainly not the first people to to blend red grapes and white grapes together but without getting too technical for too long that that's a very unusual way to extract um the flavors pigments and textures and in, in grape skins the way that we make free your mind is to do a skin fermented riesling and then to on the side do a, a carbonic carignan and then when we press the carignan, we meter a small amount of it on a daily basis into the Riesling. So we're slowly fusing those two things together. And it, it's drinking the, the carbonic carignan as it's fermenting. So it's not all at once. It's not a blending movement later. And these strange ideas sort of come to us, be it from sleep deprivation during harvest or, <laughs> or bona fide creativity. And uh, making natural wine allows us to bring those ideas to market and to not shy away from them and think we're crazy. Yeah. Um, I think at, at the time, you know, Andy was working in, in the central coast, m- making these pinots and shards. And then I think one day he came down to LA and we went to a, a wine tasting of Silver Lake wine. Um, and at that time, those wine tastings were kind of ruckus. There was a lot of people. Um, the owner would hop up on the bar and start, spitting freestyle jazz about doing mushrooms and drinking wine and it was very natural wine focused and um it just sort of showed him and myself that there's like another world to this it doesn't need to be uh stuffy or you know conventional or you know fifty dollars a bottle or you know this sort of stuff so if, the more that we could get creative and and flexible the, the better it was for us yeah it it kind of reminds me of especially like back in I think 2010s with cooking that's really when like I feel like the quote-unquote local food scene really blew up and it really I loved I loved kind of starting my cooking career there because it just made made you more flexible in what you can do because you were more you were more about what the farmers had around you and I feel like you guys had already figured that out in wine where it's like the farmer, the producer really kind of is, is the person that that gets to decide what kind of wine you're making. Is that, is that kind of, is that, is that true? Or is that just me just like bullshitting? No, I, I think it's true. I, I think that people are willing to listen to our ideas in terms of how we want to make wine or perhaps mm-hmm. as an analogy, your ideas of how you want to plate a dish um, knowing what the ingredients are that went into it. And there's a lot more transparency in the natural wine paradigm of what ingredients went into that. And as long as people understand, okay, this is old vine carrying on from 120 year old vineyards there, you have them, they're listening and they're willing to taste it. And they're not just going to dismiss you as, okay, they're playing around. Yeah. I think, I think you guys do such a good job of, I mean, from marketing standpoint, you guys are super accessible. It feels like, like you said, it, it doesn't feel stuffy. And at the same time, when you drink it, you're like, oh, these guys aren't just like 
like, oh, let's just mix these two together and let's call it a day. <laughs> like, it feels very much uh, like a focused product. Um, but it, it does feel like it's it's easy to get into. I mean, do you guys get a lot of like first time wine drinkers or, or what exactly is your audience? Yeah, I think it's for sure. You get like like we said, we have um if if you're in a Los Angeles, probably the east side of Los Angeles, people like Echo Park, you know, these areas, there's you know, you throw a rock and you hit a natural wine shop. But yeah. if you if you go west to like Venice where we have a lot of friends and, and start talking about natural wine or showing natural wine, now they're really into it, but previously, you know, they had no idea. So we wanted to make things that were fun and approachable and sort of um, we focus a lot on, on like the label art with three really great designers that we work with. But, and that whole, all that effort is to, is to attract somebody when they walk into a shop and see something they've never seen before or for them to look at it and go, what is that? You know, and then pick it up and, and um, you know, try it and, and get sort of, you know, either their mind gets blown or their mind gets freed or they, they just walk away being like, wow, I've never had a wine like that before, you know. Um, that's sort of what we go for, and I think that's sort of uh, what's helped them buoy along in the last couple of interviews. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what I love especially about your wine is I, I feel like, you know, I've, I've tried a couple, and I, I consider natural wine to be like the best kind of pre-party wine, you know, when it's like your first bottles and you just want to like, like you said, you can like drink the bottle with your friends and it, it just sort of like eases you into the night. Um, so I have totally. a supper club here where it's, it's basically called wine Wednesday, but we always, the, the first few bottles are these amazing natural wine bottles. Um, but what I also love about your wine is you, you can pair it so well with like big heady meals as well. Um, what do you guys like to pair your particular, you know, favorite bottles that you guys make? What do you, what do you like to pair it with? Uh, it certainly pairs well with the, with the pre-party before you're even snacking on anything. Gosh, yeah. I'm trying to recall some of the classic pairings. Um, I think fried chicken has always been a, <laughs> a natural fit. I think not only with our wine, but with a lot of natural wine, um, a lot of natural wine has a, a fixation on, on acidity and, you know, anything that's a, a rich, unctuous, especially salty dish needs a, an acid refresher too, um, in order to provide some contrast and some refreshment. Um, barbecue, uh, chicken finger, tacos. I'm, yeah, I'm, we cook a I'm lot getting of a lot of like fried food, which I'm very into the idea that it's natural wine plus plus just fried food. I like that combo. Yeah, I mean, we we, we also eat salads, but yeah, we eat a lot of food <laughs> and, and burgers. So <laughs> yeah, we uh, we are hopelessly addicted to pasta. Um, we both enjoy making fresh pasta at home, and we're lucky enough to live near um, Italy, so we are constantly buying really well-made uh, machine-made pasta as well and we actually have a wine that we'll be releasing later this year as a particular pasta focus but i think a lot of our wines find their way into pasta pairings at our house as well 
Um, okay, this is a slight deviation. Italy, Italy. I've heard of this. I don't think I don't think Texas has a lot of Italys. I think oh, Dallas. Man, had, what is what is Italy? I've always seen it, it around, and I'm like, what what would we what are we doing here? It sounds cheesy. It's like an emporium of imported Italian products, and like usually has a restaurant or two and a wine shop attached to it. And it's it's definitely a tourist trap in a lot of places, but like the quality of goods that they import and that they only have access to is pretty stellar. And you can find that amazing, amazing at Italy and wine. Yeah. So imagine walking around the concourse at a sporting arena where you have all of the different stalls with different uh-huh. food concepts and bars at Italy. It's the same thing except the different stalls are the wine shop, the liquor shop, the pasta shop, the uh, pizza shop, the upstairs restaurant. It's just a a carnival, an amusement park of Italian cuisine. It's it's really dangerous. When you walk in there, you need to stick to a budget, and it never happens. I, this is, this is my dream. I want, I want like a wonder work, like little natural wine bar in an Italy, and I obviously need an Italy in Austin, <laughs> and then and then we're all good. Then we're great. Yeah. Um, one place I wanted to try in Austin was Sammy's Club. I don't know if you've been there. Yeah, so I've been wanting to try, and it looks like it's it's exactly what I think of when I think of like Italian American. Like yeah. that's their vibe. Um. I miss I miss that um, having that in Austin. We have um, I grew up in Garland, Texas, and so like one of our little diners uh, was called Napoli's. I have no idea if the food is shitty or not because like the last time I ate there, I was seventeen, right? Um, if it's a red sauce and it's got checkered tablecloth, it's always good. It was really fucking good. The baked ziti was amazing. Um, but yeah, I I totally would love to just see like a little divey like red sauce situation, which I feel like that's what Sammy's is. Um, yeah. Very, very excited about this bottle named Marinara. Um, in Austin, I've seen I've seen your wines at Central Market. I've seen your wine at Meteor Cafe. What are do you know some other shops that you're available in Austin? I know you guys aren't Austin based, but um, Brew and Brew, okay, uh, Meteor Central Market. Um, the what's what's that Japanese restaurant that has a bottle shop attached to it? Japanese restaurant with the bottle shop across it. See now, now I'm getting like very nervous because like I feel like I'm a bad Austinite right now. I'm like, um, oh shit. No, okay. uh, in Austin we have the world's greatest distributor, uh, Grant Richardson of Pangea Selections, and um, you know he just gets the best placements and knows exactly where the wine should go. And um, we haven't had anything released in a while, but this spring. Uh, we should be dropping at least four new wines in that, into Austin. So uh, that should be really good. Yeah, they should be easier to find this coming year. We're increasing our allocations to Texas because it's been such a great market for us. And we're going to be planning uh, at least one visit, hopefully COVID willing, um, right. this coming year to meet and greet and help spread the juice. 
Hell yeah, that that will be very exciting. Um, aside from you guys, are there other wine, natural wine companies you would recommend people to try out? Yeah, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, our buddy uh, Quinn Hobbs makes uh, hollow wines. And okay. we really like those. He works alongside us with some of the same fruit sources. So if you like Wonderwork, that's a great one to check out. Not sure if he has distribution into Texas yet. Um, but both of us can be found when you don't have the wines in town from time to time. Um, I go who there else do often. We like? Yeah, Guido Shop is, is a fantastic resource, especially in underserved areas. Yeah. We have dreams of, of Laura's wine, uh, Megan Bell of Margins. These are people that we sort of came up with, came up making wine with and, and uh, really respect what they do and like what they do. Um, and then, you know, there's tons of stuff out of Europe, tons of stuff out of France and Italy. So. Um, what, what do you see for natural wine? I mean, let's say, okay, let, let me, it's a, let's make it like a twofold question. First question, where do you see you, your company, yourselves in like five years in this game? Like, w- what is it that you guys are, are wanting to do? In five years. So we call ourselves Wonderwork House of Fermentation which is to not limit us to just wines. So Mm -hmm. it's long been a dream of ours. I'm actually a distiller, primarily a gin and brandy distiller, uh, Monday through Friday at the Spirit Guild in downtown Los Angeles. So perhaps something from the spirit realm, something off the still, perhaps a fortified wine with a bespoke brandy component to fortify it. Um, You know, we make a a piquette, which is sort of a, a riff on a wine, but we have a lot of different ideas that are outside the traditional fermented grape paradigm. And I think within five years, we'd like to bring some of those to market. Um, yeah. As soon as you said gin, I was like, yeah, I'm sold. Let's do this. Let's, yeah. let's get on the gin train. <laughs> um, and then the second part of the question is where do you see like the future of of natural wine going like where where do you see this movement going also quick quick i i have not let you answer this question that i just asked but um natural wine itself it's it's the oldest winemaking is is that correct sure you could say that i I think when wine was first being made you know nobody had a, a catalog full of um, synthetic amendments and heavy-handed treatments to work from. So, yeah, I, I think the first wines uh, on this planet were natural wines. Right. They were like accidental natural wines. Um, <laughs> totally. And, when, and when... orange wines, you know, nobody was making a uh, an inert gas-covered sulfur direct-to-press white wine. So all white <laughs> grapes were being made into orange wines, you know, by necessity. Yeah. So I guess with that feeling, when we say like a natural wine movement, it it sounds like this thing was like made up like 20 years ago, but that's, that's not the case, right? Well, I think the, the popular popularization of um, wine that is skewed some of the more industrial or like Andy said, chemical type production methods mm-hmm. um, that really characterized 
you know, the sort of maybe the wine boom of the late 90s, early 2000s for, I don't know, like slightly older people or, or something like this. Um, you know, the expansion of wine from wine shops into grocery stores, right? So everything from Yellowtail to The Prisoner. Right. Um, you could sort of see match wine being championed in, in opposition to that. Um, and that's sort of, I think maybe where the, where the, where the, the emergence of the segment took hold uh, in the U S but, you know, people in, in Europe have been making wines this way for a very long time. And they might be confused when the American market is so thirsty for, for what they've been doing, but they've been doing it for, for years, you know? Right. So I guess when we say like, where do you see the natural wine movement? Um, I, I guess it just kind of matters on, on when you think it, it basically existed. And I, I, I guess what I would ask is where do you see you and your peers making this kind of non-specific slash specifics type of wine? Where do you see yourselves uh, and the movement itself? Um, in the future, I think one thing that natural wine is going to have an easier time um, versus conventional wine are the advent of new hybrid grape varieties that are going to be absolutely necessary given climate change that's already starting to render some traditional wine growing regions unable to unable to bring their traditional wines to market, bring them to bottle. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing unprecedented realities in the vineyards and it's happening quickly and we're going to have to start leaning in new directions to grape varieties that maybe don't even exist yet that are hybridized with native grapes to be more resilient to unfriendly climates that are becoming the norm. Um, and I think, you can imagine that in some of these hybrid grapes, you don't have necessarily the same traditional flavors um, as the old uh, wine grape varieties of yore. I think natural wine is more ready to accept those different flavors, different textures, and make delicious wine out of them. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think one of the things that I find so fun um, about, I guess natural wine itself is it's it does feel like less less confined with what exactly you know the type of wine you guys are doing like I see it also in a lot of like Scotty boy labels too where like you you just check to the back and it's really kind of like a breakdown of what the grapes are and then essentially like what what you're trying to convey but it does it has a lot less to do with you know, this is, this is what this style is. And, and this is how we're going to measure this particular bottle up to the, the rest of the wines that are like that. Yeah, yeah. totally. I really like that phrase that Scotty boy uses the super coolers. I think mm -hmm. he calls them, you know, that's very much our vibe too. Like we ferment ume, Japanese plum and hibiscus together mm -hmm. with grapes. You know, we can make wine out of anything and we love to do that. How did that start? How did you start using essentially things that were not grapes? Um, is that is that something that a lot of other winemakers do? I, I have not seen that before. It's becoming more of a trend. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I guess along with that, Piquette is becoming more of a trend. So Piquette is an old school wine cooler, again, um, 
sort of designated to uh, farmhands um, on the on the grape on the vineyard estates, where you know once the main uh, fermentation, the main cuvee is pressed, the workers were welcome to add water to the pumice, the byproduct, the relatively dry grape seeds, skins, and stems. And to add water to that and re-ferment it, you can make a very low alcohol, maybe three, four, five percent by volume beverage by rehydrating that and pressing it. It's not going to last very long in terms of chemical stability. And I, I don't mean by chemical additives, but just because mm-hmm. it's low alcohol, yeah. and relatively low acid, it's not going to be shelf stable. So this was something that was consumed on site within a few days. Um, the modern iteration of Piquette, as it's being, being uh, revived by natural wine producers, it's, it's tough. It's very difficult to turn that into a shelf-stable beverage. So we knew that we wanted to bring a Piquette to market, and we were trying to think, what's a responsible, natural way of imbuing this cuvee with some more acidity? So we started thinking of the most acidic ingredients that might taste good in a co-fermentation among mm-hmm. them were hibiscus, just extremely high in acid. In fact, the acid profile of hibiscus is more complex than anything that I'm familiar with. It has something like six, seven different acid species, including its own acid that's named after hibiscus, I believe. Wow. And, uh, you know, ume, Japanese plum, is it's technically not a plum. It's technically an unripe apricot. Uh, so that, as you can imagine, a green apricot, just mm-hmm. mouth-puckering acidity. So the idea to bring these to the fermentation, aside from us just thinking outside the box, was really as natural sources of acidity that might make a low alcohol wine stable. I love that. It's it's essentially you self state self stable. How can why can I not say that right now? <laughs> Shelf stable. Voila. It's always the SH and the S's. I don't know if it's just me being an immigrant and that just like trips me up. Or that's just like my own failings in life. No, it um, happens to us too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I love that you're you're trying to find a natural way of doing that um, without, like you said, having additives. If you ever, ever decide to use tamarind in this way, please oh, let yeah. me know. No, that's, that's something that we're definitely uh, have considered before. And, and tamarind we find particularly appropriate in the wine uh, context because it's one of the few fruits that has tartaric acid. You will have a rise of South Indians. I will. I will has, get the South Indian clan coming to wonder work. I think. I think tamarind doesn't tamarind also have an incredibly high sugar concentration too. Yeah, if you think of it, it it's I think technically the highest bricks fruit there is because mm-hmm. it sort of ripens into a paste. So by by virtue of desiccation, I think it wins the bricks award. So it's it's really interesting. So in Tamil, we call tamarind puli, which means sour, mm-hmm. because we use it in a lot of um, like we use it in a lot of our savory dishes. And the way we make sure that the sourness comes out more than the sweetness is like, we'll, we'll add spice to it. Um, and I'm not quite sure what, what happens chemically, but essentially once you add something else acidic, like tomato is very popular, tomato and tamarind, and then you add like a special spice mix, 
you're really getting the sourness of it more than the sweetness. And I have, yeah. I have no idea what that means for winemaking. Interesting. Well, I, I think of course our, our way of uh, highlighting the acidity rather than the sweetness is fermentation. I mean, right. be consuming the sugar. Right. But yeah, tamarind is a, a fantastic, uh, fantastic idea. Maybe we'll start playing with that for the next, uh, the next non-typical wine product. I'm, I'm already giddy with you just saying maybe <laughs> we'll do this. So thank you for even if it's just to humor me on this dumb little podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, totally. <laughs> um, okay, so. I think I think we're nearing towards the end. Um, I wanted to make sure that we talk about some of the vintages that are coming out for you guys. You're saying that in spring you're going to get like a, a few bottles that are that are going to be available here in Texas. So what can we be looking forward to? Yeah, we have um, the newest vintage of Free Your Mind, which is tasting amazingly and, and super clean. Um, We'll have Free Your Mind Light, the Piquette, uh, made from the pumice of Free Your Mind. Um, we'll have the return. I think this is the first time it'll be in Texas, but it's a skin contact and or orange wine called Free Your Body. And that is um, Chenin Blanc, uh, roughly equal parts Chenin Blanc, Chauvin Blanc, and Pinot Gris. Um, and then we have um, a, new, a new wine that we're calling It's a Fine Day. And that's sort of, um, it's Riesling, uh, chill wine, but it's just super refreshing, super um, tropical citrus. So like pineapple, guava, all these sort of notes. It's a real thirst quencher. It kind of reminded us a little bit of Capri Sun. So um, that's why we called it It's a Fine Day. Um, Love it. All four of those will be coming, should be coming in the spring sometime. Yeah, the the it's a fine day is a really interesting um, look under the hood of Wonderwork because so many of our wine programs are based on or structured around Riesling, and this is the Riesling source material for Free Your Mind. So, opening those two next to each other is going to be a really compelling comparison. Um, and I also wanted to make sure that we mention it's going to be a really awesome vintage for Free Your Mind. Uh, it's uh, a drought impacted Carignan which is to say it's a much more concentrated hmm. um, Carignan. The, the berry size was smaller. The yield was way down this year. And again, our Carignan's coming off of 120 to 140-year-old vines and pure sand. It's already a really compelling cuvee with this drought-impacted vintage. For your mind, is really going to be a wow, a really, really powerful wine. Yeah, I am looking forward to definitely because that was – you know, I, I've tried a few others of yours and I love them, but for your mind, for me, that, that is still like number one, um, with, and all of your wines, like I said, they're, they're pretty high up there for me, but for your mind. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited to try this new vintage. Um, and then where, where can we find y'all via social? Oh, um, on Instagram at wonderwork, uh, dot LA. Right? Or is it? <laughs> you know, I could just tag y'all. Yeah, wonderwork.la. Wonder <laughs> <laughs> um, wonderwork.la on Instagram. I think it's the same on TikTok, although we're not super active on there. Um, are y'all doing TikToks? I, there was, there was a brief period where we, where we 
got into it, but then um, it's a lot of work. It's, it's a, a, it's a lot, lot of work. We're massive TikTok consumers, and it's really difficult to maintain the quality of uh, TikToks that we see out there. So we want to make sure we're doing it right before we just flood the market with it. Yeah, I feel like what I love about Instagram is like I can really output some real garbage and I know it'll be fine, <laughs> you know, but TikTok, you got to like step your game up. Like you must be good. And that's totally. it's a production. Yeah. But I commend you guys for, for being, you know, super entrepreneurial and, and getting on TikTok. That is dedication, man. So if, if the wine doesn't, doesn't get them the fact that you're you're putting together your small <laughs> business tiktok they know you're committed man um well this was such a pleasure to talk to both of you guys um, yeah likewise and i'm really really excited to to try everything that y'all have coming in 2022 is there anything else that we've missed out on on what you guys are are doing in 2022 or you know, I want to make sure I didn't kind of cut y'all off. Um, if we make it to Austin, we want to see everybody. We want to eat as much as we can and try to drink as much as we can with, with everybody out there. And, um, you know, anybody listening, if you have any ideas about where you think natural wine is going, let's hear it. Let's, let's, um, let's get the conversation going, you know. Absolutely. And if you are coming to Austin, you guys have to come to a Wine Wednesday. Um, I definitely want to drink lots of bottles of wine with you guys. Um, Well, like I said, this was a pleasure. I will let you guys get to it. And um, hopefully I will see you guys sometime in Austin. Thank you again for doing this. Excellent. Thank you for having us. And uh, as we like to say, keep it funky. Yep. We'll keep it funky. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.